Hi, this is Gregory William Ank, classic horror film historian, author of the newly published book, The Very Witching Time of Night, Dark Alleys of Classic Horror Cinema, and such books as Beta Lugosi and Boris Karloff, The Expanded Story of a Haunting Collaboration. And you are listening to Monster Kid Radio. Welcome back to Monster Kid Radio. This is episode 120, and I am still your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. I want to welcome you to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And we're still talking about something classic. We're talking about something Karloff here on Monster Kid Radio. You're going to hear some further conversation between myself and playwright, actor, musician, Randy Bowser, about Karloff, the one-person play that he's getting off the ground. There's a Kickstarter campaign going. If you listened to the last episode a couple of days ago, you heard a little bit about Randy's background, and we started to talk a little bit about his fandom of all things Karloff. Well, in this episode of Monster Kid Radio, we're going to get further into his Karloff fandom and talk more about the play, the Kickstarter campaign, so stay tuned for that. Right now, you're hearing the song, The Villain in the Panama Hat. It's from the band Atomic Mosquitoes that appears on their album Meltdown and appears on Monster Kid Radio with their permission. If you head over to our website at monsterkidradio.net and click on the Bands and Songs link, you're going to find a link to the Atomic Mosquitoes website. It's just atomicmosquitoes.com. But also on that Bands and Songs page, you're going to find every song, every band that's appeared here on Monster Kid Radio. Every one of these musicians gave us permission to play their music here on the show. So if you pick up their album, if you go to their Bandcamp page or anything like that, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Also over at our website, you're going to find links to our Live 365 channel, our Facebook group, and our contact information, which we'll talk about here at the end of the show. Now, I know I talked about this last week, but to follow up, and for anybody who's just now joining us, Monster Kid Radio hit our 50 reviews goal in the iTunes store. I made a promise to the listeners of Monster Kid Radio, if we hit 50 reviews in the iTunes store, we would launch a creature from a Black Lagoon spinoff. That's going to happen probably later this summer is when we're going to get this monthly spinoff off the ground. I want to thank everybody who's written in with some suggestions for what we should call the Creature Podcast. Now, I can't call it CreatureCast because there are a couple other podcasts already using that as their title. And, well, we don't want to confuse the market. Although it might be interesting if somebody looking for one of their shows were to stumble across what we've... You know what? Let's just come up with a different name. If you have any suggestions for what you think the Creature from the Black Lagoon podcast should be called, why don't you shoot me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Again, stay tuned to the end of the show. You're going to hear that contact information again. And if you miss it, you can just find it over at monsterkidradio.net. Now, Monster Kid Radio is not the only podcast that I'm involved with. I also co-host and co-produce a podcast devoted to Hammer Films with Scott Morris and Casey Criswell. It's called 1951 Down Place. It comes out about once a month. And as of this episode, either the new episode will have just dropped or it will be coming within the next day or so. Look it up over at 1951downplace.com. And this month we talked about the Hammer film Four-Sided Triangle. So if you aren't tired of hearing my voice, head over to 1951downplace and check out that podcast. In fact, to further entice you, I think I'll play a promo for that show. And then we're going to continue our conversation with Randy Bowser right about now. 
Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. A podcast about Hammer? I don't want to be the one to cross Tony Stark. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes, and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website, www.1951downplace.com. Oh, so it's not Justin Hammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Before we dive into this conversation with Randy, I just want to give everybody a heads up. This was recorded before he launched the Kickstarter campaign. The Kickstarter campaign is alive and well and up and running right now as you listen to this podcast. So when we talk about the Kickstarter campaign coming, well, it's already here and it's ready for your support. But don't take my word for it. Listen to Randy. I know I'm, I'm really excited about this project, especially because you're in my neck of the woods, which means I'm going to be able to go see the project when it's done. That's right, Derek. Yeah, so it's happening here in Oregon, and it's just called Karloff. Yes. Which I, I say just called, like, I'm, you know, <laughs> no, Karloff is a powerful word, a powerful name. So it's it Karloff. Is. We were talking off mic that you drew some inspiration from mm-hmm. uh, somebody that we had here on the show not too long ago, Gregory William Mink. That's right. His book, the full title is Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff, The Expanded Story of a Haunting Collaboration. His was the first book I read once um, I got the go-ahead on the project. Stepping back for a moment, I have to say that once I had the idea, let's develop a show about Karloff, mm-hmm. I knew enough to know that I would need to get permission first. I couldn't just go off half-cocked and think I can do something without permission from Sarah Karloff. Yeah, definitely. Boris Karloff's only child. She is the head of Karloff Enterprises. She controls the persona rights for Boris. And so I contacted her and uh, told her my story of what my idea was. She rather immediately really liked the idea. Her one request was, as long as it's based on fact. Well, of course. So so once I had her permission and then her go-ahead... I started doing the research, and Banks' book was the first one I read. Highly entertaining book. Wonderful book. And I took many, 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 many pages of notes from that book (laughs) (laughs) before I ever started putting pen to paper or cursor to screen, actually. Before I started writing the play, I also read A Gentleman's Life by Scott Allen Nolan and a book that Sarah recommended. It's called Dear Boris. The Life of William Henry Pratt, a.k.a. Boris Karloff, by Cynthia Lindsay. She was a um, longtime family friend and knew Boris very well. And it's a beautiful book, very unlike all the rest, because it's more of a, a personal reminiscence about what it was like to be Boris Karloff's friend. Wonderful book. 
I also read Fori Ackerman's book, The Frankenscience Monster. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. He was asked to do that very soon after Karloff died, and he did it very quick time, within a couple months. It's, it's a very nice collection of uh, Karloffian material, interviews, uh, bits of uh, scripts. I was lucky to find an original copy from Ace Paperbacks. I found it online on eBay, I think. So I read that. Um, and then the book that had the most detailed information is the most recent biography, the uh, authorized biography called Boris Karloff, More Than a Monster, by Stephen Jacobs. I, I think that it's safe to say he is the uh, world expert on Karloff at this point. He researched the book for over 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, and, oh, it, it's, it's a large book. It has hundreds of photographs and goes into even greater detail about Karloff's life than Manx's book does. Because, of course, Mank was flip-flopping back and forth between the two lives, Bela's and Boris's. And um, Stephen Jacobs' book, it's almost like a textbook. It's, he's really done future researchers and people needing to know information about Boris. He's done them a service because it's all there. He came up with information that even the Karloff family was unaware of. For instance, <laughs> in something I've worked into the play, he's the guy who finally discovered where the name Boris Karloff came from. Oh, okay. Should I tell you the secret? Well, I don't want to, you know, we don't necessarily want to spoil anything. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's just say that over the years, like a lot of actors, especially from his era, he tended to have these stories about himself and his life, which were perhaps, we should say, loosely based on fact. Um, <laughs> he... <laughs> He had kind of a mystique about where his name came from, but it's really not quite accurate. Even as late as his appearance on uh, This Is Your Life, the TV mm -hmm. show, when asked about his name, he repeated the thing that he had done for decades. He said, well, Karloff comes from my mother's side of the family. There was some Russian blood. But that's not true. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> and so... Stephen J and everyone had some suspicion of that because researchers couldn't find any linkage between Karloff's family and, and Russia. And it's just an example of new information that Stephen Jacobs managed to dig up, and I've worked it into the play of where the, the name actually comes from. We'll leave that as a cliffhanger. You'll, you have to either read the book or and or come see the play. Well, I think seeing the play is probably <laughs> something yeah. we certainly want to encourage people to do. So Yes. Well, and I, I want to add something else about that book, uh, More Than a Monster. Yeah. Is, uh, Sarah, I told you that she s suggested that I read Dear Boris by Cynthia Lindsay. The other book that she highly recommended was this one, More Than a Monster. After – Several months into doing my research, and I had hundreds of pages of notes, I got in contact with Stephen Jacobs through the help of Sarah Karloff. Oh, okay. And he's been incredible. We're in daily contact. He became extremely helpful in looking over my drafts of the script and helping me with uh, little points of inaccuracy that had crept in and 
both he and Sarah are the biggest supporters that the play has. Oh, wow. Um, and he's really been extremely helpful in uh, shaping the, the script. We're on right now, the, the script, the draft number that we're rehearsing with is number 27. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I'm taking notes of slight changes we're making in rehearsal. I'm sure by the time that I, the dust clears, we'll be on draft 30 or something, you know. But Stephen has seen many of those drafts and gave me some really invaluable insight into the shaping of the script. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's amazing. That's... I couldn't recommend the book too much. Um, he can be found on Facebook and um, his site dedicated to More Than a Monster. Very easy to find through the search engine of your choice. Sure. No, I've seen the book. I've flipped through it. I don't own it, but I've seen the book. I've touched it. I've held it. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> so you know it exists. Yeah. I, I know it is real. <laughs> it's real, and it's like an encyclopedia in in, in one binding. Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredible how much research he has on those pages for the reader. Are there any myths about Karloff that you're looking to maybe dispel or have been dispelled while you've been working on getting the script together and putting the project together? Well, I would say that the... Average person probably thinks of Boris Karloff as someone somewhat similar to the characters he played because the general public tends to think that an actor is a lot like what he plays. Well, that would <laughs> that would be pretty severe in the case of Karloff, considering oh, how, yeah. many, how many maniacs he played. <laughs> so you talked about the black cat earlier. I mean, that, that alone. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so that's a major thing right there. Is that? Oh my gosh, no! This monster, as in the title of Stephen's book, he really was a lot more than a monster. Uh, so I think that's the the major myth dispelled. I've worked in some things which aren't generally known, like I, we we were talking about the origin of his name. If people think that it's because he had some Russian background, that's dispelled. <laughs> okay. Since I used so many sources uh, for uh, inspiration, I retained a story from the filming of The Mummy, which isn't generally known. Uh, and I'll tell you what that is. As I recall, Stephen hadn't recalled that particular incident, in fact. People familiar with the film know that Karloff is seen as the fully wrapped mummy which has been unearthed only for the opening scene right uh, for the first few minutes and the rest of the film uh the mummy is in disguise right as, a, as an egyptian antiquity dealer and um and it looks very different but for that opening sequence it was quite an ordeal the makeup was because jack pierce who's a pioneer in makeup he was using things that really weren't meant for makeup. He's like using you know, building supplies and things that <laughs> burned your flesh. And oh my God, it's hard to imagine that makeup had not been standardized in the way we think of it now. It wasn't routine to make prosthetic rubber pieces for noses and things like that. He was making it up as he went along. And it was often extremely long process. It took, I forget how many hours, but all day for him to turn Karloff into the to the mummy and this is all enacted in in the play he's ushered onto the set he can barely move and they prop him up in the sarcophagus well what happened and this is the story that i was referring to as not being very well known is that he fainted he fell out of the sarcophagus oh, and no. fainted the studio doctor had to be called to the set and the doctor was so angry with people because since karloff was completely wrapped up his skin couldn't breathe and the solution was to make a little slice in the back of the costume, which the camera wouldn't see, just so his skin could breathe. 
Boris never talked about it. There were several incidents wow. that were rather uh, very unpleasant to go through that he tended to not talk about because he didn't like sure. to he didn't like to complain. But people who were there were witness to some of the things he went through, and so that's a rather dramatic moment that we have in the play and something that's not uh, generally known. And it's something you know the movie Bedlam. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boris was especially proud of the three movies made with Val Luton. Um, and Bedlam was the last one of those. Well, a similar thing happened on that set. And originally I had this in the script, but it was one of the things I had to cut out for time. But on that set, Karloff's character has arranged for an entertainment. And one of the patients has been painted in gold, mm-hmm. the, the golden boy. Well, the same thing happened. That actor fainted on the set. <laughs> yeah. And Bo- Boris said, God. Don't you guys learn? He's, and he got the nurse, and they had to just rub off a spot in the actor's back and rub off the gold paint so that the actor could not die. You know? <laughs> yeah. What I just said reminded me of the fact that my first draft, I had so many incidents like this um, that worked into the, the script. That first version would have been probably three and a half hours in length. I had just included all these things that I thought were interesting and could be effective on stage, but it was three times too long. (laughs) So it was very painful to start stripping away the bits. Something that plays in real time, like a play or a movie, that obviously doesn't have time to go in the same kind of depth that a book has. You can only get glimpses. And so... Now we have a reasonable length play, and uh, I've had to just get a lot more uh, selective about what I included. So some of those interesting bits aren't there. Well, I'm sure it's full of other interesting bits. So that well, I'm it is. To see. <laughs> it, it, it is indeed. There's some things that I know will be very surprising to people that I'm for now. I, I'm not being specific about, but there there will be moments that I think <laughs> will be. Well, I have to say that. Despite everything I've said here, the general tone of the play is is rather light. It's so it, it, very funny. It's a very funny play because Karloff was a very funny man, very uh, witty, smart guy. And all of his friends, one of the first attributes about him that they admire, that they mention, is his wit and his humor, how funny he was. And so I knew it was important that, well, something that purports to be about Karloff has to be funny itself, just like he was. And so it's an entertainment in that sense. We've included things like uh, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Some people who aren't Karloff fans may not know that Karloff did the narration for that, and he got a Grammy Award for it. Um, And there's a very funny story connected with The Grinch, which is in the play. Another example of things from his life which aren't connected to the horror films. Sure. Now, this is happening in October. Yes. And you are gearing up for, I believe it hasn't launched yet, a Kickstarter campaign. Thank you for bringing that up. That's right. Yeah, definitely. We want to help promote that. Now, that hasn't launched yet, right? Right. I'm speaking to you on the 19th of July. The Kickstarter campaign will run for one month starting July 21st. So as we speak, it's just two days away. Okay. Okay. Now, currently, I've had a Facebook page which has become, I'm very glad to say, has become very active, and I certainly welcome more visitors. Uh, <laughs> I'm putting up a nonstop stream of interesting things, uh, photographs, videos. I did a talking head video talking more about the play, 
And that's easy to find on Facebook. It's Karloff the Play. One word, Karloff the Play. They could find me, uh, find us on Facebook. And well, that's that how was, I found you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And it's there, but that's where the link will be found to the Kickstarter campaign. For people who don't know Kickstarter, that's one of the sites which gets crowdfunding, which is kind of a modern version of art patronage where people who are interested in seeing a project come to life. They become aware of, well, here's something interesting, and they want to support it. And so once uh, the Kickstarter campaign is up, people can go. They can get a lot more information about what the show is uh, like. And then there are categories of pledges that they can choose. Sure, sort of different levels. All of the levels have what are called rewards connected with them. You give a certain amount of money, well, we're giving away autographed programs, autographed posters, all sorts of things in exchange for the pledges. Now, there's one important thing about these crowdfunding sites Mm -hmm. is that the person starting the campaign, he sets a campaign goal of whatever amount of money it is to get the project done. At the end of the campaign, which is usually a month, and that's how long mine will be, if the goal hasn't been reached, then the uh, creator of the campaign doesn't get any money, gets nothing. You have to reach the goal in order to receive the pledges from your supporters. And so that's why, naturally, I'm, I'm hoping that we can reach uh, that goal. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> It'll make it much more affordable. The play is going on no matter what, in October, here in Salem, the crowdfunding will help take some pain away from myself (laughs) because uh, (laughs) (laughs) theater is not, unfortunately, it's not an inexpensive thing, to to, no matter how simple the production is. And it takes some money. And the better the budget for the show is, the better some of the elements can be. And so that's what that's all about. But, you know, like I just said, the one-man show is a simple, basically a simple proposition. Uh, they're usually done, like I saw Vincent Price on stage in a one-man show. Oh, wow. He was famous for, he did it many times, he did a one-man show based on the life of Oscar Wilde. Right. It was just Vincent Price and a little side table that had a glass sitting there. And I think there was a chair that he never sat on. And, you know, that was it. People come to one-man shows not for spectacle, but it's a very theatrical form, very abstract. With just, you know, It's like it takes place in some kind of limbo where somehow these historical characters come back to life and they talk to us, kind of talking about their lives, which is totally impossible and, and totally even um, illogical. But that's the convention of what a one-man show is about. We go and see this person we might know something about but they come back to life in a very sparse surrounding because the focus is the person himself here's one that i bet monster kid radio fans would enjoy finding is leonard nimoy he did a one-man show about vincent van gogh the painter oh wow it was one of leonard's pet projects he developed the script and in it, he plays both Vincent Van Gogh, the painter, and Vincent's brother, Theo, actually pronounced Theo. He plays both of them. He goes back and forth. It's through the eyes of his brother, talking about his talented brother, Vincent. 
and it's just Leonard. They use some projections of of uh, famous paintings. There's a desk with some few things, a few props on it. But otherwise, it's just Leonard Nimoy for over an hour talking to the audience, and it's great. It's really great. It's just called Vincent. That's an example of more research I did was on what one man shows can be like. So besides researching Karloff, I was researching what can be seen of uh, one man plays, one person plays, and Vincent was one of the best that I saw, starring Leonard Nimoy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's actually I, I'm glad you mentioned this because this kind of gives me a little bit of a wraparound here. I wanted to mention real quick. Yeah. You know, we talked about you being a musician off yeah. mic, and I think even on mic, I talked about how, you know, there's this creative drive in us monster kids. Yeah. I found some of your music online oh, oh. from Dorian, the remarkable Mr. Gray, which ah, is based oh, on, yeah. you know, the work of Oscar Wilde, and you Correct. mentioned Vincent Price doing the Oscar Wilde thing. Oh, so, man, there's a whole, that, yes. Thank <laughs> you for bringing that up. Now, see, the picture of Dorian Gray, now there's something else that mm. I became aware of the, for the first time through Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. Oh, really? Yeah. The the old film version starring Herd Hatfield is a wonderful movie. It's not on everyone's list of the most classic horror films, but it's still a classic. Oh, it's a great story. Oh, it's a great story. And, oh, yeah. of course, Ed Dorian Gray is one of the great Victorian monsters, which, by the way, if you've been watching Penny Dreadful, the new uh, television series, Mm-hmm. Dorian Gray, I was very glad to see. He's one of the Victorian monsters, which has um, been mixed into the plot, along with Frankenstein and his monster and Dracula. Oh, very and, cool. Oh, it's really a good show. Anyway, Dorian Gray, my musical version, it opened in 2010 in Moscow, in Russia, and it's still playing there. That's something I'm especially happy with. The <laughs> <laughs> That came about from doing a production here in, in Salem, and because of connections, uh, it came to the attention of a producer in Russia, and here we are. Each show is a new thing. It's like starting over. So sure. I have, I have that success, but here's a whole. this is a whole new bag, a whole different thing. This play about Karloff, mm-hmm. so I'm starting at square one again, trying to get people aware of, of my new project. So with Karloff, you, it's a one-man play, so obviously a lot yeah. of it rests on the man who's playing Karloff. Have we mentioned yeah. his name yet? It's Ron Fox, right? Thank, thank you. Yes, Ron Fox is one of the – I think that most anybody who, who's seen a lot of theater in Salem, they would have to probably agree that he's just one of the area's best actors. He has done uh, the play The Lion in Winter twice, actually three times, but twice as King Henry II. Peter O'Toole played that role in the film version with Catherine Hepburn. That's indicative of what kind of strong stage presence he has, because the Lion in Winter, in that play, King Henry II, is on stage almost constantly. He is the lion in winter. It's the king aging and needing to pass the crown to down to one of his sons, and it's, it's a political family battle of who's going to be the next king. It's a very huge, demanding role that Ron has done wonderfully twice now. So I'm very fortunate to have him. He's a monster kid. Fantastic. <laughs> he, oh, yeah. He's been a lifelong fan of Boris Karloff. And I think probably like a lot of Karloff fans, has discovered that 
there's a lot about the man that he had no idea about uh, and a lot of the films that he hadn't even heard of. So he's having a lot of fun uh, rediscovering Karloff in more depth than ever. Knowing that there are people that have a real love for the material behind this project yeah. gets me even more and more excited. It's going to start in October. Yeah, that's and right. And you're running it for four performances? That's right. That's right. And this is just the first. This is the start. This is my – I need to get it on the boards and uh, <laughs> uh, you know get people aware of it. I'm going to be videotaping it. That will be my major thing to demonstrate the show to publishers and actors, agents. I can show them here's what the show's like. And so that's the main goal uh, for this first production. A play is only theoretical until it's done in front of an audience. And so we'll do it in front of an audience and we'll have that video capturing as much as video can of what the thing is like. Sure. Mm-hmm. And you said that you are doing some music for this. After I had settled on pretty much on the shape of the script, that was another huge part of this project was designing the sound plot, which involved composing a lot of music and adapting some music. Oh, okay. And, okay. And basically I in a nutshell I would say that that my inspiration was old horror film soundtracks. That's all I listened to all day, man. So <laughs> <laughs> I so I bet that after seeing the show and after hearing what I've done, that you will be one of those people who probably will recognize like a particular cue, you'll know what I was being influenced by. Because I, I purposely like said, okay, well, I, I don't want to copy this exactly, but I'll use the same instruments and, uh, and I'll write something that's kind of in the pocket of what this thing was doing. Sure. And so I did that throughout the show also. That was a big, fun project. I can't wait. I really can't wait. Are there exact dates set? There are not, and that's why I need people to stay in tune about the play's development through the Facebook page and the Kickstarter page once it starts. That's where, as these things become solidified, I'll be announcing. Two major things to announce will be the specific venue and the dates. I keep looking at different places. I want to make sure I'm happy with where we're doing it. So all I can say right now is Salem, Oregon, in October, (laughs) sometime sometime before uh, Halloween. But as that all shakes down, it'll be announced on Facebook. We'll make sure there's a link to the Facebook page in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you to keep me up to date. If there's any news or anything about anything going on, please let me know, and we'll make sure we talk about it on Monster Kid Radio. And I know I'm going to see the show. I'm going to make the drive. I'm going to go to Salem. I'm going to see Karloff and maybe even meet you in person. I'm really looking forward to this. I am too, Derek. If you're here, we have to meet. You got to seek me out. Absolutely. Have a drink afterwards. It's got to happen. <laughs> Beaverton. That's not too far from here. No, I, I was checking Google Maps earlier. It's like mm-hmm. 45 minutes. I can drive 45 minutes for Karloff. There you go. <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen, go to Kickstarter. Look up Karloff. Back the play. And check out the reward levels and see if it's something that you would like to back. I'm excited. I think Randy's really excited. Probably the most excited of us all. But I'm super excited as well. The deadline for this is August 20th. Again, go to kickstarter.com and under search projects, just type in Karloff. Or if you are a Facebook user, look up Karloff the Play. It's one word. It's a community. You can like it, communicate with other people who are excited and interested. You'll probably see a post for this episode over there as well. So if you're a Facebook user, go check that out. But most importantly, go to Kickstarter. 
check out Karloff, the new one-person play back it and if you are in the area and you're going to go see the performance well let me know when you're going i haven't decided when i'm going yet but if you're in the area man it would be fun to go see this with my fellow monster kids if you're not in the area you can still benefit from backing this kickstarter campaign backing it for just 25 dollars, and you're going to get a dvd of the show i'd even go as far as saying that once you get your hands on this dvd It'll be a collector's item. I mean, this is one of those rare opportunities to see something born of the creativity of one of our monster kids, support our fellow monster kids, and add something that's going to be really, really cool to your DVD collection. So again, if you're a Kickstarter user, if you feel so motivated, hop on over there. And as always, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Now, next week here on Monster Kid Radio, we are having a return visit from our favorite doctor, Dr. Gang Green. That's right, Larry Underwood will be coming back, and he's bringing Vincent Price with him. We're going to talk about a Vincent Price film, one of his favorites. It's called House of Wax. Additionally, we're going to talk a little bit about a project that he's been doing. If you're a Facebook user, you've been seeing me share links to the video, to the YouTube project that he's got going over in the Monster Kid Radio Facebook group. He's basically going through every single Vincent Price film appearance and talking about it on YouTube. You're going to hear more about that from The Good Doctor next week here on Monster Kid Radio. Before that, there's a real good chance you can hear me on another podcast called The Creepy Castle. If you go over to creepycastle.com, that's creepy with a K, castle with a K, you're going to find a 24-7 internet movie streaming site complete with a chat room. And these aren't just movies. These are horror-hosted movies. Horror hosts from across the country, all collected here in one place, creepycastle.com. And every weekend, they do a blog talk radio show. It's a podcast that you can call into and chat with the people on the show live. Now, if you don't listen to it live, that's okay. You can always download the show later as a podcast and you play on demand whenever you want. There's a real good chance I'm going to be on the show this upcoming week. I was contacted. I was asked if I wanted to be on the show. Told them I'd love to be there. The topic... Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde films should be a good time. I've been on the Creepy Castle before. It's a great show. It's a great time. Dale Kay and Halloween Jack are great hosts, gracious hosts, and I can't wait to meet up with them this weekend over at creepycastle.com. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song, The Villain in the Panama Hat. That belongs to the Atomic Mosquitoes. It appears on their album Meltdown, and they gave us permission to play it here for you guys and gals on Monster Kid Radio. Talk to everybody next week. (laughs) 